No, not tonight. Oh, sorry. 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 It's okay. okay. Good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. Welcome to episode 30. 30 and flirty and thriving. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you have listened before, welcome back. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for listening. This week we have a classroom report. So this is things we wish we learned in school, awful people, anything of that sort. So get your textbooks. Wait, no. We're your textbooks, I guess. Yeah. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Margo. We're the two friends and roommates. That like to Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We're the friends and roommates that like to talk about the things. That keep us up. At night. It is nighttime and we're ready. For bed. For bed. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. This is a PSA to go to sleep. That is today's episode. I'm gonna go ahead and hold the matches. Would you like to tell me about your week? What has kept you up? Um, what's kept me up? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It's okay. Um, I mean, the maybe, centipedes have you been... are back. You, what? The centipedes are back. Oh, God. Yes. We saw one in the basement the other night that was like... Those bastards. The <laughs> biggest centipede. It was running very fast. <sighs> and there was a dead one on our floor yesterday, and I just killed one on the ceiling. <laughs> so... Elizabeth's like... She's out. I'm doing research. I'm doing notes. And she's like, Margo, there's a centipede. I'm like, do you need help? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> let me know if you I do. I just wanted to tell you. <laughs> I appreciate that you let me know. Oh, it was, it wasn't that bad because it was a, a tiny one. I, I almost felt wood. bad killing it, yeah. but but not really. But if he grew into. Right. That's the, that's the risk, right? Yeah. We don't want it. We don't no, want him to grow. Not today. No. No, no, no. no. <laughs> How about you? Well, I've been thinking about that because my room is atrocious, and I'm like, if I were to see a bug in my room, I wouldn't know where it went. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know what yeah. to do. I can't bring a vacuum in here because my floor is covered in laundry I've not put away. It's clean. I just haven't put it away. Yeah. Like my laundry pile is on top of my yoga mat, so that sums up my week pretty well, I think. There's, I feel that. There's something that definitely cut me up and I can't remember it. Maybe it'll come to you later. Yeah, probably when I'm like actually falling asleep. Yeah. Okay. It's yellow today. The match tip? Yeah. Not anymore, is it? Nope. Great. And it was all yellow. Oh man. Cold play. I don't know what he's saying. I can only pick out certain words. Um, they were my first concert I ever went to when I was 12. Really? 
Yeah. Mine was found in Zawain. Oh, yeah. Do you know who they are? Yeah, they did one song that was popular, right? Stacy's mom, yeah. Right. Yeah, I was in like fourth grade. Wow. So that was the only song I knew or liked. One Prozac a day. Do you remember the that's, that's Bowling for Soup. Damn it. I get those two <laughs> songs mixed up every Stacey's time. Stacy's mom has got, got it going, going on. Stacy, can I come over after school? <laughs> after school. I guess it, because both of them talk about like hot moms, I guess. That's probably it. That's I think they came mistake. out around the same time, maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Never mind. It's okay. They yeah. kind of, all the, both singers kind of have that nasally. Yeah, thing going, and they're so. both like kind of one-hit wonders, maybe. I don't know any other Bowling for Soup songs. Me neither. So, I don't know any other Fountains of Wayne songs. Me neither. I feel like if I were an artist, that's what I'd want. You yeah. Because, eh. Yeah, because you're not too famous. Right, and then everyone knows that one song. You can walk down the street, no one would know, but when mm. it comes on, like everyone's like, oh. And then TV shows still use it and you get royalties. I know. And you don't have to do anything. I'm okay with that. One song, that's it. Good thing I sound like a banshee. I never have to worry about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to teach me something? Yes. So there was a lot I wanted to say on this topic, so it'll probably be a two-parter in one way or another. If you don't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. So we have talked about this Many times in either stories we've talked about, you know, I've, I've been on a psychology kick lately, I guess, but something Elizabeth and I have talked about a lot is how we learn and how the education system doesn't necessarily measure success or, mm. you know, like I'm not a good test taker. So I think that's why I'm a little bit better because I went to every class I did extra credit projects and then I would bomb an exam. Mm -hmm. So for me, that made me feel like I was constantly failing, even though I am successful in other areas. So I just, anyway, we're we're talking about that. Oh, cool. So, (laughs) So when it comes to child development, starting as early as possible to identify long-term health effects. There are three main things to look for when it comes to principles for guiding better programs for helping families Mm -hmm. in order to look for this. So one is to support responsive relationships because this is essentially what helps develop the brain's architecture in order to help deal with any challenges, resilience, communication and to overcome hardship. So we need some sort of relationship or rapport and able to establish that. And as I mentioned in previous episodes, a lot of it is nature versus nurture. So Mm. we do need that uh, environment to be able to see positive aspects or at least feel that we can go from there. Mm. Another one is to strengthen core skills. So this can be coaching and practice. It can be uh, executive functioning, uh, which helps us adapt to change or resist impulsive behavior. It helps us with planning, focusing, and achieving goals. So that can be anything from what are your long-term goals versus I'm just going to study to pass this exam or I want to one of my 
friends in college was a nursing student and she said, my professors always gave the perspective that you're not studying to pass an exam, you're passing to save a life. So it's Mm. more so, I guess, that mindset. I don't know if that's relevant in that bullet, but... That makes sense. It stuck with me, even though I'm not a nursing student. And then the other one is to reduce sources of stress. So many things that can develop long-term can be things that happen to us early on or how we deal with it, or even those in our community or network handle stress as well or, Mm. or certain situation. So according to Harvard University's Center of Develop, uh, Child Development, the foundation for mental health starts early on and our situations essentially help develop the architecture of development in the brain, as I had mentioned. There are the biological and environmental factors that shape us. Young children and adolescents are still developing their brains. So in certain situations, they may not react to distress in the same ways as adults. So you can think of it as a loss of a loved one. The child might be a little bit more confused or be starting to process that people are upset, mm. but the adult might be handling it in a different way. However, external factors and the way that they have been exposed can also help develop later in life. So if you're seeing someone execute distress or the way they talk to themselves or if you know that has an impact so that's why I'm terrified to have a a child Mm because I'm like everything I say could (laughs) turn out to be something in the long run but right you never know furthermore if young children are not provided the appropriate health emotional difficulties that emerge early in life can become more serious disorders over time so that being said if it is Developed to help treat and cope earlier on, it is more beneficial in the long run. Did you know that 75% of mental health conditions develop by the age of 24? No. According to the World Health Organization, or the WHO, not the band, (laughs) half of all mental health disorders start by age 14. Wow. Yet most of them go undetected or untreated, and the delay from symptom to treatment on average is 11 years. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So that is very shocking to me. I think it's because we may not notice things as much as kids, or it could just be, oh, they're, you know, hormones or, Mm. you know, I'm not sure what exactly that is, but I also think... There has been a lot of research done on child development, but not necessarily mental health unless mm-hmm. it's I'm, – I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, or they're just really good at hiding it. I think that too. Or, you know, they're not fully aware of what's going on or mm-hmm. if it's not normal. I think it's just, you know, as a parent, you might just be, oh, you know, they're going through something or they're stressed out or, oh, they're just a kid, but maybe it's something else. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought that was interesting, but yeah, the National Institute for Mental Health states that about 32% of adolescents have some sort of anxiety disorder. Wow. And it is higher among females than males, mm. but it could also go with what I said in the last, in episode 28, where there is sort of a mindset that men aren't as open to talking Mm -hmm. about mental health, so it could also go into effect. But 
boys do tend to get diagnosed with ADHD more often mm-hmm. in youth, but young girls tend to have more eating disorders. Mm. They tend to have more depression earlier on. However, it kind of depends on your community or your situation. But regardless, as for people overall, one in five people in the world have a mental health illness. Wow. Yeah, only 41% of people seek treatment. Wow. So in health class, we... <laughs> health class? I the, See, that's this is the thing that keeps me up because we are taught don't have sex, yep. <laughs> don't do drugs, eat your vegetables, mm-hmm. and we're going to do medieval treatment and make you run back and forth <laughs> to a buzzer. Uh, <laughs> the pacer test is... It's it, cruel and unusual. It, it is cruel and unusual. Or the push-up test? No. Mm, no. I was really bad at the sit-up test. Me too. That was my worst one. I have a pretty good core strength. You mm. do too. No, but... I don't. <laughs> oh, I thought you did. Nope. Well, you have like abs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm just bad at... Like I can do crunches like bicycles, oh, but I yeah. can't do like... Yeah. I don't it's, know. I don't know. I think it's because I have a small torso. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I have a disadvantage there. I am vertically challenged. Oh. <laughs> The pacer test is a multi... What is it? The fitness gram pacer test. Oh, no. <laughs> Line up at the start. <laughs> when you hear... End <laughs> of level one. It will get faster each time you hear the triple beep. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, God. And there's always that one, like, random, like, runner... Who yeah. is the only one left at like a hundred? And I make it to level eleven. Yeah, yeah. I think I got to like forty one time, and no. I was like, "Oh my god!" I that think was I got amazing. to twenty seven. Yeah. No. It's mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. Cruel and unusual Cruel treatment. And unusual. Thanks, gym class. Thanks, gym class. So, in our broken school system, uh, <laughs> it also teaches us that we need to study to ace a test so we can get good grades to get in a good college, which would allow us to pursue a successful career and make lots of money, which leads to a good life. I mean, when you think about success, I think that is something that's always been mm-hmm. ingrained into us, and plus schools have cut you know art programs mm-hmm. or there's been more focus on math and science, which I'm not arguing that they aren't important because I definitely think they are, but there isn't, you know, we can't all be doctors and lawyers. I don't know. Right. I'm sorry if I'm getting like personal on this one, but I'm just like, <laughs> no, I think it's important. Like, yeah. Like who are, who are our celebrities? They're all actors and musicians. Right. Like those are the things that the society values, except for when it comes to funding it. Exactly. Exactly. So a big thing that is conditioned into us that is we will be happy when we are successful, yet success and fulfillment are not necessarily the same. So teaching kids, you know, stress, loss, failure, and more or where to go when they're feeling mentally drained is not something that is commonly addressed. Mm -hmm. So there is a woman named Dr. Denise Pope, and she is a founder of Challenge and Success, which is a mental health resource center for adolescents or college students. So it's a Mm -hmm. nonprofit. Dr. Pope asked parents to define success. And parents said that 
They just want their children to be happy and healthy and have great relationships and give back to society, which I think is a fair assessment that any parent would say. Mm -hmm. However, when she asked children how they would define success, they described that they needed to get good grades, go to a good college, and get a good paying job. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Pope says that there's a gap due to how parents or the academic system praises their kids. So many parents tend to reward their children based on performance, which makes kids in turn get a signal that they need this approval or love, and it only happens when they are achieving certain levels of success. So if they are falling short of what they believe their parents' expectations are, they feel a diminished self-worth or they can feel more prone to anxiety and stress. Or you see the kids that, you know, are are doing a million extracurricular activities so they mm. can have a good-looking resume. Or um, something also interesting I found in my research is if – you're, you know, the valedictorian at your school and then you go to like an Ivy League, you feel very lost because you were the number one in your place mm. and now you're a bunch of a, a, a million other number ones. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Which is very interesting. So a way to help ease a child's anxiety is you need to remind them that where they go to school will not make or break them, which I think is hard and I've gotten into arguments or, I guess, conversations with people about this because for me, if I have a child, I want them to know that it's okay to get a B. It's mm-hmm. okay to get a C as long as you try your best, you're a good student, you ask questions. If you just you know blow off class because right. you want to go to McDonald's, like maybe one time, no. <laughs> No, but if you're not putting in the effort and you're doing that, then that's a different story than, okay, you know, you don't like the teacher or Mm -hmm. the subject isn't for you or you're going through something. It's different than, hey, I got an A and it's like, well, why didn't you get an A plus? Or, hey, when you go into Harvard and it's, okay, but we need to celebrate the little things or... Yeah. Did you... I mean, I... You probably have seen this too, but I remember people that we went to high school with who like, if they got a B on a test, they'd get their phone taken away for like a month or like grounded or something. Yeah. I'm like, that's horrible. Like Bs are okay. Like, yeah, that's fine. I've literally never had to touch my like high school transcript or once you have your first job, then you don't even discuss like school after that, you know? Right. It's just the pressure on some of these people was like insane exactly so that's like where i feel a big disconnect is too because then you start to compare yourself to others and you have that asshole that sits across from you and they're like what did you get and it's Mm -hmm. like shut up right and then they're like oh i got a 97 i'm like okay goodbye (laughs) i got a 79 good like see you later so like i said getting a b does not mean you're a failure even getting a c does not mean a failure if Mm -hmm. you get if you see, if you get an F, like failure is something I will talk about in a later episode because I think that's something very important to learn too. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to failure, it's a, a way for you to evaluate what you need to do differently. And it's also important to 
feel that disappointment or to feel that regrouping of, okay, I, I need to work on this or I need to figure out a method instead of just, you know, a, a lot of students might resort to cheating mm. or they're not learning to fully absorb the material. They're just learning to get through it, mm-hmm. which I'm frustrated about because I definitely did that. I'm like, oh, I wish I remembered this. But Oh, me too. Anyway, so further... An exam does not determine one's ability to learn. It does not measure social or emotional intelligence. A lot of the time, students tend to study to get an A rather than to study to learn. So Mm -hmm. Pope goes to explain that students that engage in their learnings are the ones that tend to benefit more in the long run or in college because they are the ones that take their academics further and they take on campus opportunities or get involved in communities they take advantage of resources and those are the ones that tend to excel more so than people that get a's i I think i've told you before i know people that are literally the smartest people i know like i think half of their brain is e equals mc square or (laughs) like whatever yeah but they cannot communicate to Mm -hmm. save their life Right. Or they come off as cold or they just cannot read the room. So there's mm-hmm. that aspect of it too. Engagement, according to Pope, is key. So what parents can do is you can encourage them to prioritize health and their well-being by getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should take that advice. <laughs> you also need to find a balance between work and play because if not then you're not going to be able to set boundaries later Mm. on in life as well or you'll always feel that you need to be doing more and i full transparency i see a therapist but her biggest feedback for me is don't say should Mm -hmm. you know i oh you know i should have worked but i went to bed instead or oh i i should clean my room uh, you know, things like that. It's like, no, you. Mm. it's okay to go to bed. It's okay right. to go for a walk instead of doing laundry. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's really important for children and adults, um, yeah. especially now. Well, and the whole sleep thing, like high school started at 7.20. I don't us. know how I got up and did my hair or Mm-mm. no. No, it was dark outside most of the time. Yeah. And some days I was crazy and I went to Duncan before school, you know, like how did I do that? I don't know. And we needed more sleep back then as teenagers. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. How do we do it? I don't, I don't know. know. I guess it's just like you're used to it, you know? I guess. Still. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Simpler times. You didn't have to worry about bills and stuff. I don't know. Hmm. So yes, I, I'm not saying that, you know, good grades aren't important because they are and it's important to strive for them. Uh, And I think it's important to have the mindset to do the best you can. But my biggest argument is ACT scores and exams do not determine who you are as a person. You tell me this a lot. So thank you. (laughs) Uh, They do not determine how you problem solve necessarily. They don't determine how you work with others or how you think creatively. And those are all important aspects in the workforce, especially you don't often get to pick your teams or you know sometimes you may have to deal with conflict and and there's Mm. you know some people just 
aren't good test takers. Everyone learns differently. Some people are visual learners. Some people learn audibly. I learn by doing. So, you know, if I listen to a lecture, it doesn't make sense to me unless I'm actually actively working on things. Mm -hmm. So in summary, I, I think it's important to find resources and find what works best for you and be able to at least have a conversation about what expectations are and and what you need. However, there is a large stigma about ben- mental health. And like I said, May is Mental Health Month. Mm. Uh, so according to Mayo Clinic, stigma is when there is a negative view on someone or something because of distinguished characteristics or personality traits that's thought to be a disadvantage. So there can be stigma on oneself or there can be stigma on others. It can often lead to discrimination, uh, whether it's subtle or not. So why is there stigma? Like, what do you what do you think about talking about mental health? I mean, you and I are pretty open, but when it comes yeah. to things in general. I don't know. I think there's just this wider stigma in society at large. And I think our society is so individualistic and a lot of people don't want to ask for help because they think it makes them weak or or something. But also, I think there's like a general lack of resources for mm-hmm. people and it can be really expensive. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. So that was pretty much a spot on summary. So okay. uh, <laughs> if you don't often think about stigma or if you don't really think there is one, if you're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm pretty open about it. Think of this scenario. So let's say you have a really big, important meeting at work and your boss has emphasized the importance of this and you and your team have been working on this presentation for a month. So you wake up the day of the presentation, you have a fever of 103, you can't move, you can't get out of bed, you feel terrible and you tell your boss and your boss says, okay, you know, we can cover, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Same situation, you have the presentation. However, you wake up feeling empty inside, you feel hopeless, and you can't move or get out of bed. And your boss says, I'll see you at eight. Mm -hmm. So mental health is still health, even if there isn't a traditional illness of, you know, you have the flu or when you have a broken bone, it is still something that can affect you physically. Mm -hmm. And especially mentally, it can uh, impact your focus. It can impact how you interact with others. So when it comes to stigma, we're living in a world where we're always on and always pushing forward. Mm -hmm. And we value how much output that we can provide or how many likes we can get or how much money we can make. So there's always this Mm -hmm. more... Or, or seeking more or being able to perform more. So this is also something that kind of impairs when we're able to step back because a lot of the times if we are pushing ourselves too far, we don't realize how damaging it can be or be mm-hmm. able to take a step back. Or even if you are feeling a certain way and you feel you're at your breaking point, it's uncomfortable to talk about because you don't know how it's going to be perceived. Mm-hmm. For one thing, there is a certain guard or inability to feel open uh, to being vulnerable. Or when we open up, it can also be followed with responses of, oh, everyone feels sad or, oh, just don't worry about it. It's like, mm. oh, thank you. You cured my anxiety. Oh, my God. Thanks. Thanks so much. So take ADHD, for example. So in a child, 
someone with ADHD might be disrupting the class or they might be fidgety or not able to just, you know, do their work and they could be labeled as a troublemaker, as a troublemaker. Whereas an adult, if they are taking a little bit longer to do things, they might have the label of being lazy. Mm -hmm. So someone on the outside who, you know, may not know the situation because, you know, it's internal, they might, you know, shake their head or roll their eyes at someone in this situation and just be like, why can't you just get it done? Or, you know, it's, why can't you just do it? It would take you five minutes, but it's really Mm. not that simple. So often people don't want to feel like a burden or it makes people think that they're incapable if they do ask for help. So if you were to approach someone and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm going through this, you know, it may create distrust or you might feel like they don't see you in, you know, a higher pedestal or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, she's fragile. I can't talk to her about it or I, I can't give yeah. her more work. And that's, you know, the self-stigma taken over where you feel that you're unable to do it or you don't want to seek help because you are afraid of what other people may think of you. Mm-hmm. Some people feel shame, guilt, or that others might blame them. They also need to keep pushing because it's, you know, just a phase or they don't even know that something is necessarily wrong. So because of this negative mindset about stigma, it can lead to further negative consequences such as uh, the overall reluctance to seek help. There's also a lack of understanding among what other people are perceiving or what you are feeling, Um, especially if you keep brushing off, but it keeps getting worse. It can Mm. lead to other issues. There's also a belief that one cannot overcome the challenges or, you know, I'll never be successful because of this. There's also the mindset that there will be fewer opportunities in work. So if you discuss this, then you may not get a promotion Mm -hmm. or you aren't feeling well. So you might have to miss class and you will get bad grades or your social life if you're not feeling like interacting with people and you keep canceling plans, then they may not interact with you or if you're like oh you know i have depression they might feel awkward around you Mm because they don't know how to talk about it so it could also cause someone to be more prone to self-isolation as well so stigma often causes people not to feel open about talking about it or not wanting to seek help they could also be reluctant to admitting that they even need it We have developed a lot in the mental health space in the latter part of the 20th century because if you listen to episode 28, they used to think that all mental illness was something you were like born with. Mm. And that's not the case yet. However, we still don't really have a system down for all the resources or it's not part of, you know, public funding it is Mm -hmm. to your point it can be very expensive which is why people don't want to pursue it there's ways that we can change stigma and one thing is to change your language and how you approach mental health so there's a difference between you know being aware of saying oh she's nuts or she's crazy or she's Mm -hmm. psycho oh oh sorry i'm being bipolar and Mm -hmm. you know that is not you're no you're not you're just you know, yeah, that's so OCD. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just really OCD. Yeah. 
I did say insane earlier and now I'm thinking about it and there's probably a better word I, sh- I could have used there. So I mean, it's natural, but you it's know, hard to, it's hard to break, but I'm sure there mm-hmm. are better ones. Well, I know like, you know, people used to say the R word, you mm-hmm. know, and thankfully that is being less and less, but it's, it's things like I that. I hear it still sometimes. I do too, but not yeah. as much as right. I think in like 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, what a time. Ugh. God. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, things like that, it can also, I mean, okay, no, you are not bipolar or you could say, instead of saying like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm bipolar, you could say, oh, I have bipolar disorder if that is in fact right. true. So I think that's also something because it's, I think it's just, you know, it, that makes it less of what it actually is or people mm-hmm. talk about it in a way that's more like casual or kind of like making light of it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm super OCD. It's like, you don't, yeah. you don't know. It like minimizes the real problem. Exactly. Um, I remember when we had like mental health week in high school, it was like, you're sandbagging me. <laughs> remember? It was like, oh, when yeah. people are bully you, it's like adding sand to a bag and you just feel heavier and then like every day for a week someone was like you're sandbagging me (laughs) and one of my teachers was like hey no someone might actually think that's helpful (laughs) oh yeah i remember that now yep wow you're sandbagging me see i'm doing it now it's like i'm sorry if you feel it's endured it's endured (laughs) so another way to change stigma is be open about talking about it with others, how you talk to yourself for one thing. Mm. Um, and it can also in turn help you be more empathetic towards others. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, for example, you're around someone who's always like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so fat and ugly, but you know, the person next to you actually has an immune disorder mm-hmm. or feels insecure, it's, oh, mm-hmm. you know, so I guess that kind of goes with the first one about how you talk with it. But I think also just being open about hearing things out or educating yourself on the different aspects of it because there are the psychological, biological, socio, and environmental factors. Mm -hmm. So this can help eliminate stereotypes or negative attitudes. So this can even help with self-stigma and help yourself in turn become more open to your own management of it. Other things that can be done is you can join support groups. Support groups can help you find people in similar situations that help open up to it rather than just talking about a friend who may not be as open. You can, of course, seek support yourself from a professional. And as a disclaimer, we are not professionals and we are not here to treat or diagnose anything. Thank you. Thanks. Um, (laughs) You can be honest, be vulnerable, be patient with yourself and others. I think there's really a lot to say about being open to having that conversation rather than just saying, you know, nothing's wrong. It's the difference between knowing something's wrong and taking a step back. I mean, it's okay to talk about it because like I said, there's one in five people have a mental illness. So in one way or another, it impacts all of us because chances are we know someone that is dealing with it. Mm. In the long term, like I said, we have come a long way with mental health illness or awareness, but we still have a lot of work to do. And research has shown signs that there is further development and proposals in the works to have more funding go to mental health care. Okay. New York is actually the first state that is going to require mental health learning. Hmm. 
So I, overall, all of that said on, on how you can change stigma, I think it's also important that if someone does open up to you about mental health or trauma, a lot of the time we just want to respond right away. But sometimes the best thing you can do for that person is just listen or let them mm. know that you are there for them. So things that you should never say is it could be worse. Oh, God. <laughs> no, don't do that. Oh, God. Um, you never want to victim blame or, you know, say things like, oh, a lot of people feel that way. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, that happened to me because they want the other person to feel like, oh, yeah, like I totally know how you feel. But sometimes mm. it can make the other person feel that you're taking the focus off of them, mm -hmm. especially when they are being vulnerable. <laughs> Also, don't say, oh, LOL, that sucks, or, oh, you'll be fine. Um, in, in turn, things that are helpful to say is you can take Matt's example of thank you for telling me. <laughs> um, so you could say, thank you for telling me. How can I help you? I can't imagine what you're going through if I, I would definitely feel X, Y, Z. Um, most importantly, is there anything I can do for you? Mm. You can also – something I do is, okay, do you want a vent or do you want advice? Because sometimes people often will want to try to resolve the issue where often that can also rub the other person the wrong way. So sometimes it's just like all you have to do is nod and wave and smile and just say, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, rather than, well, have you done this or why didn't you do this or, oh, like mm -hmm. this happens all the time or a lot of people. So I think just try to – practice being more open to taking a step back and and just actively listening and I think it will go a long way and there's a really good YouTube video by Brene Brown that talks about empathy mm. I really recommend it I can put it in the link but um also no one likes toxic positivity oh I just was talking about this like yesterday with someone if you are feeling low, know that you truly aren't alone and there are many resources out there. I will be sure to post additional links in the show notes this week. But for Mental Health Awareness Month, I hope all of you do something for yourself or for others, whether it's educating yourself or reaching out to an old friend or you can join a support group or even just take 10 minutes a day for yourself. That will start to go a really long way. So take care of yourself. All of you matter. And yes. I hope that was, it was a little all over the place, but that was part one of a uh, part two of to come. So anyway, that's my, I loved it. That's my spiel. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Toxic positivity, man. It's like our whole like Instagram culture too, where it's like, think happy thoughts and you'll be happy. It's like, Thanks. Wait, like, I, I wish I thought of that. Wow. My God. Thank you. Wow. But also you're like overly filtered and. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and like, like you said, like when people are like, oh, you know, like it could be so much worse or like mm. everything happens for a reason. Like, no, that's not, that's not like. I mean, yeah, but no, not right yeah, now. Like that's not, I, I think people, I think the world would be a better place if people could learn to sort of like sit with their negative emotions like yeah. sadness and anger which is really difficult and which is yeah. something I want to be better at too mm -hmm. 
but just instead of jumping straight to like, ooh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? I think there's an importance to that too because it helps you understand what to do rather than Mm – or I think, you know, going back on child development, the aspect of kind of having a helicopter parent who like resolved everything for their child also Mm -hmm. doesn't help them in the long run, so – yeah. I don't know if that's the same thing, but... Yeah, yeah. And being happy, mm. like, isn't being happy all the time. Right. Like, no one is, like, happy constantly. That's what I hate about social media because people only show, like, the good things. Yeah. And then it's, like... It's you, okay to, You like, compare yourself to others and, yeah. Yeah, to feel things no. <laughs> that aren't... Really, go watch, like, happiness. Inside Out or Soul and yeah. that's all. Oh, I need to watch Soul. Oh, it's so I'm afraid it's going to give me an existential crisis, and I haven't been in the mood for that. <laughs> oh. So, but I'll I really want to watch you. it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Thank you. I'm going to watch Star Wars one of these days, so. Yes. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. So, anyway, I will put resources in the show notes, um, but it's, yeah, it's okay to not be okay, and yes. let us know. You matter. We love you. Yes. We love you so much, and let us know how you learned about mental health awareness yeah let us know what you're doing this yeah. month yeah yeah i'm doing meditation every day at Ooh. least once so that's my mental health it's a really good goal yeah i'm not doing i'm not doing anything but i also do want to meditate i found a mindfulness meditation thing i want to start i love that yeah i think it just so. at least you know i think it's easy to put aside mental health or push it to the back burner but Mm. even if you start to develop okay take five minutes in the morning or five minutes at night or for me for a while myself mental health was my nightly skincare routine because that was kind of like a ritual Mm. but I have gray hair and acne so you know I have that (laughs) going for me it's okay though I'm trying to embrace it anyway that's my spiel there you go you all matter and you are not alone and yeah, we love you. What Elizabeth said. Yes. So, anyway. Yay. Mental health, it's important. So important. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, All right. Tell me. All right. Teach me. My topic is like way different from yours. Okay. <laughs> Which is fine because yeah. we could talk about anything. There are no rules. We make the rules. Yeah. Okay. So you know how sometimes it feels like everything is awful and the world's going to end? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I do. <laughs> well, this will probably make that worse. So apologies in advance. Well, good thing we just talked about mental health resources. Right. After this, we can go meditate and feel better. Yeah. All right. That's Maybe. actually your homework now. Uh, okay. All right. First, let's talk about plate tectonics. Okay. All right. I actually know. Pangea? Hey! hey. <laughs> Throw back to high school science class. Wait, Geology. I was literally thinking about that today. Ah. I kid you not. Wait, are we talking about how the Earth is flat? No. Okay, good. <laughs> it for the record, it's not flat. It's not. It's not. <laughs> um, igneous. We should not. Have to- oh God. <laughs> Sedimentary rock. <laughs> I can't believe I remember that. We watched that video in like sixth grade. I G N E O U S. Well, it worked. It was catchy and effective. Mm. Um, Yeah. So this make me feel worse. Oh, just wait. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> this something we talked about like yesterday inspired me to do this. It's not the same thing that oh, we talked about oh, yesterday, no. okay, but it's okay, okay. similar. Oh, okay. 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 It's fine. So I don't want to get too in, in the weeds here, but I think covering plate tectonics will, will provide some useful background information. Okay. Okay. So the earth is round. <laughs> Good. And it has a crust, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's also called the lithosphere. Mm -hmm. we're, we're on it right now. Right. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. But it's like, how do they know? You know, like, how do they know what the inside of the earth looks like if they've never been there? I mean, how do they know what a black hole is? How do they know You're right. what, what Santa's workshop it's looks magic. like? It's magic. You know? Yeah. How do they know about, like, Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster? I don't know. I don't know. They just are. Nessie. Nessie. Oh. The crust is not one solid layer surrounding the earth, like the frosting on a cake pop. Oh. No. It got me excited. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's divided into chunks, if you will. <laughs> that float or move around on a layer called the asthenosphere. Aesthetic sphere. <laughs> Asthenosphere? Asthenosphere? Aesthetic sphere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is made up of hotter, less solid materials. My aesthetic sphere is hotter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um... <laughs> Why did I write this in here? It, I wrote these chunks. <laughs> this chunky boy. <laughs> like Krispy Kreme donuts next to one another in a vat of oil. Like, have you ever seen, yeah. you know, the Krispy Kreme and there's like a bunch and they're like, they're not, they're floating next to each other. Right. Okay. The, 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 I, on the earth. I'm thinking of a root beer float. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. And these chunks of crust or pieces of crust are called tectonic plates. Mm-hmm. On top of the plates, they either contain, they're either continental or oceanic crust. Right. So if it's oceanic, there's the ocean on top of it. If it's continental, there's continents or land. Mm. The plates are not static. They move around, some at faster rates than others, usually around a few millimeters a year. The places where the plates meet are called plate boundaries. Mm. And now I want to talk about another geological... Geolo geology word <laughs> subduction seduction no subduction aesthetic and <laughs> seduction wow making geology geology sexy since 2021 it's sorry sells. geologists it sells it's no it's cool i like geology okay I, yeah it rocks, rocks. <laughs> shiny rocks anyway okay, i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sensual okay. well, what was it <laughs> I don't know. Subduction. Okay. Seduction. Subduction. 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 Okay. Remember the oceanic crust? It tends to be denser than the continental crust. So when it meets, it dips underneath the continental crust and then is melted back into the Earth's mantle. Okay. That's what subduction is. So if you, yeah, if you like take your hands like this. And once she, she has her fingertips touching. I do. Once the oceanic crust and once the continental crust and the oceanic dips down underneath. Okay, so her left hand is sliding under her right hand. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And that's what the plates do. But this is where earthquakes come in because when one is sliding underneath the other, 
the edges are jagged. They're not smooth because they're rocks. Right. And they tend to get stuck. So if my hands are moving against each other and they get stuck and they stop, they don't continuously slide. And so the earthquake happens when jagged edges of the plates get stuck on one another, but the rest of the plate still wants to move. So as the plates push on each other, they're stuck on certain parts of each other, tension builds up and eventually the tension snaps and the plates shift really abruptly causing an earthquake. And sometimes this triggers a tsunami as well. Yes, it does. Yes. Okay. Science lesson over, sort of. Okay. Thank you. I'm here to talk about a specific pair of tectonic plates, the North American plate and the Juan de Fuca plate. Okay. The North American plate is a huge continental plate spanning all of North America. That's where we are. Okay. So we're, yeah. we're on it, right in the now. middle of it. And the Juan de Fuca plate is a tiny oceanic plate in comparison to the North American plate. But the two of them meet at a place called the Cascadia Subduction Zone. And it's, it shares a name with the Cascade Mountains. And the subduction zone runs 620 miles from Cape Mendocino, California, to Vancouver Island. So it runs past Portland, Seattle, and all those... Cities along the west coast of the U.S. and Canada, up to Vancouver. Yeah, and so along this whole stretch of 620 miles, the Juan de Fuca oceanic plate is being subducted. It's bending below the North American plate and melting into the mantle. However, it's currently stuck. Oh no! The edge of the plate is bending and buckling, and it's. Like that. You, you don't have to describe it, but I'm just She's showing you. She's making a fist with it's one of like, her hands. It's like when they're they're pushing together and it's there's this force and it's bending. So the continental plate is kind of buckling up and there's this tension there. So it's um, bending. Is it going to snap? Yeah. Oh. This tension has been building for 320 years. Oh, no. And there's a 37% chance that the plates will slip and cause the worst natural disaster in North America, except for the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, which killed over 150,000 people. But in the next 50 years, there's a 37% chance that this will happen. So. All my happy thoughts are gone. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. And side note, the Cascade Mountains are like 100 miles inland from this subduction zone but they're created through because of the subduction zone because when it, the plate is being subducted it like hot materials mm-hmm. come up and it's a volcanic mountain range just yeah. okay. just so you know cool like mount helena 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 yeah because she's a volcano right right okay so let's get into it that um, was, oh we're getting more into the doom <laughs> okay <laughs> no one knew that the Pacific Northwest, I'm going to call it Cascadia, because some of the scientists um, that I read about called that. It's the region, basically where it is. No one knew that it could have earthquakes, at least not um, not the white people who colonized the area. Okay. Like, they, they never asked. <laughs> I guess well, oh, you didn't ask. They didn't think about it. And so no one, you know, as far as there's been a written record of history in the area, no one knew that it could have earthquakes. But fast forward by a lot. So in the 1980s, geophysicists named Tom Heaton and Hiro Kanamori 
they noted that Cascadia was in the Ring of Fire, which is where almost all of the world's most powerful earthquakes occur. It's a 25,000-mile-long ring, and it goes basically around the entire Pacific Ocean and contains two-thirds of the world's volcanoes. So, like, all of the... It's along all of the west western sides of North America, South America, going down through Australia, back up, and like like that, like surrounding the Pacific Ocean, basically. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the song Johnny Cash sang about? Oh, the ring of fire. Yeah, that one. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I love him. Me too. He's so cool. I love him so much. Okay. Yeah. So the scientists noticed that the fault lines in the area in Cascadia are similar to the ones where really big, intense earthquakes had occurred in the past. Mm. But the scientific community at the time didn't really take them seriously mm. because there'd never been an earthquake that they knew of so far in this area in recorded history. Mm. In the late 1980s, geologists Brian Atwater and David Yamaguchi found a ghost forest, which is a clump of dead cedars on the Copolis River that scientists believe had been killed by slowly rising sea levels. So it's just like all these dead trees in a clump. It's very eerie looking. However... Atwater and Yamagachi had a different theory. They knew the trees had been killed by salt water, but they believed that they had died as a result of a sudden shift of up to two meters in the ground level. So hmm. they took samples from the trees and found that all of them suddenly died in 1699. Weird. Meaning that whatever killed them happened then or sh- shortly after because trees don't grow rings in the winter. So it could have been any time oh. then. There were no, as I mentioned, there were no written records in the Cascadia area from that time. Um, But the Japanese have been monitoring natural disasters since 600 AD. So they noted that in January 1700, Japan was hit with a 16-foot tsunami that destroyed homes and caused a ton of other damage. However, they didn't feel an earthquake beforehand, so they called it an orphan tsunami. Hmm. But in the 1990s, scientists figured it out. At around 9 p.m. on January 26, 1700, a 9.0 magnitude earthquake struck Cascadia, and it created a gigantic tsunami that struck the northwest coast of the U.S. 15 minutes after the earthquake. And then 10 hours later, the other half of the wave hit Japan. And it reached Japan on January 27th, 1700, coinciding with the records that the Japanese had kept at the time. Wow. And indigenous Americans, though, already knew about this. In the 60s, Chief Louis Nukemis who was part of the Huyat First Nation in British Columbia, Canada. He told a story that had been passed down about the a people who lived on the Vancouver Island called the Pachina Bay people, and they were totally wiped out, like, in a day. Mm. Um, he said, I think it was at nighttime that the land shook. They sank at once, were all drowned, not one survived. Ooh. 
And in the 1860s, a member of the Maka tribe named Billy Balch told the same story. He said before his time, all the water had receded from Nia Bay in Washington State and then suddenly poured back in. Those who survived later found canoes hanging from the trees. So, yeah, more recently in 2005, scholars have collected these reports from indigenous Americans that these stories that had been passed down through the generations about this incident because a lot of them, I mean, yeah, tons of the the people who live there had these stories. And so they were able to date, come up with an average date range for the events that they described and the average date that they came up with was 1701. So they figured it was the same thing. Oh. Which I think is so cool that like, you know, everyone's like historical record, historical record, but the oral history confirmed it as well. Yeah. It's been 321 years since then. Three, two, one. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Ooh. Oh, we need to find a different word. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, yeah, there's probably better ones. Cry. <laughs> bananas. But, oh, I like that. It's bananas. <laughs> um... In the past 10,000 years, 41 subduction earthquakes have occurred in this area, which is about one every 250 years on average. Okay. So according to the average, we're overdue. Oh, no. Area residents called the looming earthquake the big one. Uh-oh. So to figure out how strong an earthquake is, the length of the earthquake tends to indicate its magnitude. If it quakes for 15 seconds or so, it's around a 6, 30 seconds, mid 7s, uh, 60 seconds, high 7s, 2 minutes in the 8s. I can't imagine it being that long. I know. 3 minutes, high 8s, 4 minutes plus in the 9s. Okay. So the... the um, Wait, okay. Do you remember that earthquake we had in like 2006? I slept through it. I was having a nightmare <gasps> that I was being possessed by a demon. Oh, my so God. So I woke up and my bed was shaken and I was like screaming. And then my mom came in and she's like, there was an earthquake. Did you feel it? And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I, I know I woke up and my mom came in. She's like, did you feel the earthquake? I was like, no, there was an earthquake. Like, I didn't believe her. I'm like, right. there was an earthquake. And then I was really mad. Yeah. Because I slept through it. Oh, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, geez. Anyway. Okay. It was great. It was a good time. Uh, yeah, that one was probably very low on the Richter scale. Yeah, it was like 10 seconds. Yeah. So the Richter scale measures earthquakes, goes from zero to nine. Nine is the highest. And every fault line has an upper limit to the strength of the earthquake it can produce. For example, the San Andreas Fault in California, which is pretty well known, its limit is around an 8.2 which is pretty strong, but when it comes, the big one is expected to be around a nine, which is 45 times the power of California's worst earthquake in 1906. Uh -huh. And similar to the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami that hit Japan in 2011. That earthquake was the most powerful ever recorded in Japan, killing almost 20,000 people turning entire towns to rubble, triggering a nuclear meltdown at the Fukushima plant, and costing around $235 billion. Oh, my God. Paleo-seismologist, don't ask me what that means, <laughs> Chris Goldfinger, 
was <laughs> Excuse- okay. All right. was in Japan for a seismology conference when the earthquake struck, which is kind of ironic. Those are like the things, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're the, like, you know, he studies earthquakes. I don't know what pa- what a paleo seismologist is. I just didn't look like it up. Paleo is like... I'll just look it up right now. Oh, I'm thinking of like paleo diet. I don't know. No, exactly. Looks at geologic segments, sediments, and rocks for signs of ancient earthquakes. Oh. That's cool. That's a cool job. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. So he was in Japan at a, an earthquake conference when they had this gigantic earthquake. Uh, and he said it felt like the whole world had turned to liquid. Oh, my God. Japan was more or less prepared with its infrastructure, with most buildings built with earthquake-safe architecture. However, the people in charge of these sorts of things didn't expect the size of the tsunami, which toppled their tsunami walls and created chaos, um, which and it was just horrible. Mm. Unfortunately, Cascadia is way, way less p- prepared. When the big one comes, so now we're imagining the scenario, humans will feel a jolt first, called a c- compressional wave, which activates early detection sensors that alert appropriate agencies, allowing them to slow down trains, stop elevators, etc. So I got a lot of this information from a 2015 article but at the, that time, Cascadia didn't have any early detection sensors. But I just read that Washington State's early warning system was activated yesterday. Excuse so, me? There, no, I, like they installed it. Oh. <laughs> no. No. It's not coming yet. <laughs> no, they, they like implemented it yesterday, which is very topical and okay. relevant. But I'm, I'm glad they're getting around to that. Okay. It's fine. So after the initial jolts that everyone will feel, the compressional wave, the ground will start to shake and it could last for up to five minutes. Okay. The electrical grid will fail. Glass will shatter. Everything unsecured will just like fall and crash. And soon after the shaking starts, bridges will warp and fall off of their foundations. Oh, good. And unreinforced buildings will begin to collapse. The northwest edge of North America, from California up to Canada, where the fault line is, will drop by six feet and and move 30 to 100 feet to the west. What? Yeah, the ground just like... Yeah. Yeah. 95% of Oregon's and Southwest Washington's fuel is stowed in tanks near the water. I believe that's Oregon's critical energy infrastructure hub. And they'll, the tanks will deform and spill and they could start fires. Landslides will be set off throughout the region, up to 30,000 of them in Seattle alone. And there will be a process called liquefaction, where solid ground behaves like a liquid which is not good. I just imagine it being like when you take a pencil and you like shake yeah. it and it turns rubbery. Except it's the ground. Except it's the ground and that's yeah. terrifying. 15% of Seattle's land is liqui- liquefiable, Ooh. including 17 daycare centers and the homes of 34,500 people. Thanks. Good. All right. 
Yeah, and the the place that I mentioned there, Energy Hub, where they keep natural gas and stuff is also on that land. Mm. Okay, so after the earthquake triggers, survivors will have 20 minutes or so to evacuate before the tsunami hits, which could reach 100 feet or 30.5 meters. Tall? Yeah. Okay. Like a gigantic wave. Oh, okay. Which I can't even imagine. Uh, Evacuating could be very, very difficult in some places, especially if people, for example, have to cross bridges or get to higher to get to higher ground because the bridge is already collapsed. It's recommended to travel on foot in this situation because of jams, but the area of impact for this whole disaster is predicted to be 140,000 square miles where 7 million people currently live. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, predicts that 13,000 people will die 27,000 will be injured, a million people will be displaced, and 2 million will run out of food and water. However, if instead, so this model is based on, like, I think it hitting at night and in the winter or something, but if if it happens in the summer when people are on the beach and stuff and there are tourists in the parks and stuff, the numbers could be much higher. Most homes and buildings in the area are not designed to withstand an earthquake of that magnitude or at all. They aren't bolted to the foundations, so when the earthquake hits, they'll slide, like, right off. Um, Chris Goldfinger, the paleo seismologist, says, quote, we are a thousand years behind and it's not going to be easy to catch up. However, Portland is looking into building a new earthquake-safe bridge. One bridge, I guess. A single. We have one. I don't know how many bridges Portland has, to be fair. I've never been there, which I mentioned in the last Last episode, episode. although I'd love to go. Yes. All new buildings in Portland have to be built to earthquake standards, but the old ones don't have to be retrofitted. Interesting. So, yeah, FEMA has calculated that about a million buildings, of which 3,000 are schools, in this situation will collapse or be compromised in the earthquake. Okay. And that includes also half of highway bridges, 15 of 17 bridges in Portland. Okay, never mind. There are 17 bridges in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two-thirds of railways and airports, one-third of fire stations, half of all police stations, and two-thirds of all hospitals. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Since 1995 in Oregon... You're not allowed to build hospitals, schools, firehouses, and police stations in in this in the area where like the wave would come. But if they're already there, they don't have to leave. And you can still build other buildings. So it's like I don't know. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but I'm not a city planner, I guess. So if this if this happens and you survive and you're staying in Portland then there will be three to six months without electricity, one to three years without drinking water and sewage, and three plus years without hospitals. And the the area where the tsunami directly hits will be uninhabitable for a very long time. The state has struggled to come up with long-term plans and to make the necessary changes in order to be fully prepared for this disaster. So unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do if you live there. Um, what you can do is you can make sure to retrofit your home for earthquake readiness if you can, if you're, if you can afford it. 
and ensure that all large furniture and fixtures are firmly attached to your walls. So like if you have a big bookcase, screw that, screw that in the wall. Just screw it in. Just screw it all and and (laughs) I don't know. I know. Okay. The top five most important things to keep in your home slash garage while preparing for the big one are shelf-stable food, water, which is a gallon per person per day. So it's a lot of water. It's a lot of water. Three years without drinking water? Yes. One to three years. So... All right, I don't know. Stocking up yeah, now. Stock now. Oh God. Uh, fire extinguishers. Uh, <laughs> a bucket toilet, if you if you can. Uh, a water and gas shut off four in one tool, so it looks like a like a handy wrench thing, but it has things that, like notches you can use to turn off your water and gas. Okay. So that's what this guy in, in a YouTube video recommended. <laughs> um, and that's it. And you just want to be the most prepared as you can and yeah this is really awful and it's just like we're helpless against nature and it it could happen at any time i'm gonna throw up and like thousands of people would die and like no one knows about this i mean i'm sure i literally never heard of it yeah people didn't know about it till like 30 years ago 40 years ago i'm gonna cry this is so stressful yeah i got most of this information from a new yorker article from 2015 by Catherine schultz entitled the really big one and a video from PBS, uh, it's their weathered show hosted by Maya May that came out in March of this year. So it sounds like they're kind of trying to implement some things, but yeah, I mean, like 13,000 people. It's just, I mean, yeah, like I, I have friends in Portland, you know, it's like, what are you? I mean, of course, I would care about people in Portland, even if I didn't have friends there. But you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Like, it seems like a great place. But like, I don't know if I would be able to live there knowing that this could happen. No. At any time. Like, the idea of being washed away in a tsunami is just like horrifying. Side note, the earthquake in Haiti, the one that killed like 150,000 people, they're still recovering from that like 10 years later. So... It's that was really bad. Uh, my yeah. God, nature. Well, I hope you all practice mindfulness tonight. <laughs> uh, that was great. I'm <laughs> terrified. Get your start stocking up on canned food. I mean, thankfully, in the Great Lakes, we can't have a tsunami, as far as I know. Maybe I should say that because maybe we can and I just don't know. Yeah, but what if we're like in one giant sinkhole and then like we just fall through Mm, the... That would be unfortunate. Or, you know, like we could have an asteroid hit the middle of the ocean and cause like a tsunami. Mm. I don't know. Like we are literally on a rock going millions of miles an hour (laughs) through space right now. Yeah. It's amazing that we're, we're all alive. How do we exist? I don't know. Ugh, deep questions. Randy has a lot to say. He he's been quiet lately, and now yeah, it's been too warm for him. He doesn't like that either. He's like, what? No, mom. <laughs> I'm sorry, Randall. Randall, <laughs> sorry to have to tell you this. <laughs> You're adopted. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of you told my son? <laughs> oh my god. 
All right. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm I I'm I'm so stressed out. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like blacking out. I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all so much for listening. <sighs> okay. Yes. So take care of your mental health. Stock yes. up on water. Be safe. Be nice to people. Um, I'm gonna. It's gonna take a long time for me to recover from that story because natural disasters freak me out, and me too. because we can do nothing about it. And yeah, it's out of our control. Okay. Well. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. We would love to give credit to the artists that have helped us. Our music is composed by Colin Whitlish, and music production is by Justin Toom. And our cover art is by Erica Chase. Would you like to tell them where to find us? You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or send us an email at theinsomniareport at gmail.com with your listener report or comments, questions, suggestions, greetings, anything you want. Let us know how you celebrated Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes, we'd love to hear it. Let us know how you're preparing for a giant tsunami. Are you building a shelter in your yard? Are you bolting your bookcase to the wall? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Stay safe and spooky and sleepy and tune in next week for another true crime. Good night. Good night.